Hey, Darian, thanks for coming on today on this episode of the CoachCast. Um, really appreciate your time. And um, why don't, before we just get into it, why don't you just explain kind of what you're doing at the moment, where you're from, and uh, what your journey has, has been to get you to, to this point. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Chris, for having me on. It's nice to meet you. Um, so I work at USC, University of Southern California, and the teams I work with are men's and women's swimming, diving, men's and women's golf, and women's tennis. So kind of just a random cluster of sports, um, but I enjoy my sports very much, and I enjoy my job, and, and I've been in SoCal all my life, born and raised, went to college here, played soccer, and that's kind of where my love of strength and conditioning came from. And then I went on and got my master's also in SoCal at uh, Cal State Fullerton. And then I found my way back to USC. So it's been a wild ride, but it's been fun. And you've been an athlete kind of in and around that time as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I played soccer at Loyola Marymount University, which is just right in LA, right, right in the cluster of USC, UCLA, and LMU is kind of the three schools in, in LA. Would you say that was kind of the the drive, I suppose, or that's where your interest came from with regard to strength conditioning and pursuing like the sports performance path? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was a walk-on and I kind of fell in love with the weight room of getting bigger, faster, stronger. And it was kind of a Cinderella story that led my success in college to, you know, be a captain my senior year. And I saw what that did for me. And I was like, I want to do the same for others. So that's where my love for that came from. Awesome. So I know we've obviously, we've been back and forward over a few emails and things like that. And I've been following you like pretty closely um, on Instagram and I've actually loved some of the content you've been putting out. Um, I work with tennis here at Wake Forest and I know you mentioned you work with, um, with tennis there. Um, I'd just love to get into today some of the, how you kind of train movement essentially for your tennis athletes. And this doesn't actually have to just be for tennis because uh, it's applicable for quite a few sports, but also uh, how you train um, by the core as well. Because you've got, I know you work with swimming, there's obviously a lot of uh, core stability going on there and you've got some pretty cool yes. variations that you've been using with your athletes. Um, so why don't we start off actually with, with the core? Because I know you said earlier um, that you did your thesis on kind of training the core. Why don't we yeah. um, get into some of the details uh, with that? And essentially, how did you, what was so fascinating that you wanted to do your thesis on that? And then how did you kind of get into developing like the philosophies and the training principles that you use. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of funny. My, uh, so right after LMU, I went to go do an internship at USC and uh, my mentor was Chris Chase at the time. And my first day I come in and written on the whiteboard was everything is a core exercise. And like at the time, like my knowledge was just very basic. And I was like, that's weird. No, it's not. And then, so my whole time there, it was like him, educating me on that that is true and that you need your core for everything and and the the right type of core and coming in and working with the swimmers it's been kind of just re-educating re-teaching them what core is for and how to train the core properly because you walk into a weight room and you just let the swimmers do whatever they want it's going to be just a bunch of crunches and penguins on the ground and you know any type of crunch that you want to see, just sit-ups for days. So it's been kind of rewarding to watch them train themselves in the core and start to use more things that I've implemented with them and try to teach them. But so that's where kind of like the love uh, for my core, for the core came from. And I ended up doing my thesis on core at Cal State Fullerton. Um, so I'll go ahead and just share 
share my screen. I think you got to let me share my screen. Oh, do I not have that? There we go. That should be doing it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me go to start. There we go. So I've been lucky enough to be invited to um, a couple NSCA kind of clinics or regional clinics that have let me share kind of my story and my ideas on core. And um, so I really give them presentation because I feel like core, just like anything strength conditioning is controversial. Like, oh, planks are bad. Oh, this is bad. And, or crunches are bad. And so I want to really give a taste of like, what I found in my research and that what I've learned in my experiences from working with teams, especially swimmers where core is so important um, to stay horizontal. Uh, but I really started off the presentation with, this is what, you know, it looks like. This is what course look like. Are we keeping it fine? No. You know, we are meant to twist, rotate, extend, flex, but we got to make sure that the athlete has that neutral spine so that when we're training them in the weight room, they don't get injured. So I feel like it gets confusing when I talk about, especially on Instagram of, of what the proper core is and neutral spine is the best thing ever. But, you know, I don't want people to get confused that I don't think that, you know, we are meant not meant to rotate. Like I deal with tennis, you know, we wrote that's a ro what a rotation is. Um, so that's why I like to start off this presentation with like, this is what it looks like, you know, this is what sports is. Um, so I'll go quickly through this. I'm not going to give a whole explanation because I would like to get to movement because I do love movement a lot. Um, but you know, the muscles that compose the core, it's also very different of who you ask. So when I was doing my pieces at the time, which was about five years ago now, uh, I really look to Stuart McGill, who's my a back and spine expert, and how he defines the core is the lumbar spine, muscle abdominal wall, back extensors, QL, the last is so as. So a lot of multi-joint muscles in there. And then the furthermore that I research, you know, Vernon Griffith, who I look to a lot, says the arm is to the knees. So it's like, okay, there's definitely more than one definition for this. Um, but you know, just to go off of something, I went off of Stuart McGill just to get a more explanation for what really composes the core. Especially when you're doing a thesis, you got to define things. So I look to a lot for Stuart McGill for that stuff. Um, and kind of just talking about the core and, and what is it for. I, I put a tree there in the middle because you got to think of your core as the trunk, right? Proximal stability allows for distal mobility or strength. We need to be strong. We need to be a power rod so that we can transfer force from the upper to the lower to the lower to the upper um, and to try to prevent any any injury leaks that we can. Um, I'm kind of go on this, but just like what we do in any movement in the weight room, we want to educate them first, you know, especially with how the hips work. You know, can they dissociate their hips? We have an anterior pelvic tilt. What's that called? What's a neutral spine? What's a posterior pelvic tilt? Now, so creating that awareness with anything we do, especially the core. All right. Um, I like external cues way more than internal cues with teaching anything. 
So instead of teaching them to brace or, you know, flex their abs, I hear a lot of coaches say, or, or tighten the core, you know, more like, you know, breathe out, like have a quick burst of air coming out to create that tightness or, Hey, I'm going to punch you in the stomach. That's more of an external cue. Um, but kind of creating that. And, and then I learned this a lot from Vernon Griffin as well is, is that we need to create more awareness, but also be more active within core exercises. Okay. Way too often do our athletes hold a plank and are just passive doing it. Okay. Instead, he says, create a turtle shell. Tuck your head under your creative turtle shell. So now you're just activated and versus just staying in the plank. Um, so make more awareness, make it more of an active plank. Um, second bullet point I have there is just like we teach any movement, we want to create stability first. You know, we don't want them to be a wet noodle. Okay? That's not going to be efficient for doing a trap bar deadlift. All right. Once we create that awareness, we have that teaching for stability. Now we get into eccentric control, just like time under tension, just like we do with another movement. Um, and then we can get to more constant power to create transfer force. Right. I think um, above all, the best core exercise that you can do is lifting heavy weights. And the second you can do is carrying heavy weights. Okay. So I want to get them to that point where they're strong enough to do that stuff under time under tension. Um, but also I want to get them more efficient with medicine ball throws. You know, how powerful can they be to transfer from lower to upper and not have any energy leaks? So I'm getting, I want to get to that point, you know, but I got to make sure just like the base of a pyramid where we're teaching hypertrophy strength and power, I got to make sure that groundwork is set. Um, one of my favorite quotes is you can only produce as much power as you can control. Okay. So once again, teaching them be stable. Um, and that's just a study. The bottom one is a study that sports specific core. And I have quotes on that because I know it's just a word out there. What is sports specific? You know, are we really transitioning over uh, what we do in the weight room to the court, to the field? And I think, you know, anything from strength to power to speed. Yes, we are. Um, but what I mean by the sport specific core is more of the rotational med ball throws. Okay. A lot of times people say, oh, that's not core. Well, then again, everything's core. Um, what I learned right on my day one of my USC internship. <laughs> um, so going on my thesis and what I really looked on my thesis is, um, kind of modes of core that we do. We do a static hold. We can do a stationary in place movement. We're removing our limbs. And then the next one are crawling. So a bear crawl or traveling. Okay. So those modes of static stationary traveling is what I looked at. And I used the bear crawl from animal flow um, because I was really into animal flow at the time. So I wanted to analyze uh, the differences in muscle activation within those three exercises. So I looked at uh, four different muscles, um, input surface electromyography on there, so surface electrodes, and just kind of tested them. So, and what I really found was that, you know, which sounds obvious now, but I don't think it was at the time, especially not in research, but the more you move in a core, the more activated you're going to be. The more instability you create, the more muscle activation you're going to get. Um, and to us now, it's like, yeah, no duh, you know, but, um, really put that into research i created that that new research um so that was my thesis and that's what i learned but i found that you know the stat the static 
was way less muscle activation than the stationary traveling. So you don't necessarily have to be traveling to have the best core. I think it's great for foundational movement patterns, you know, uh, moving contralateral limbs, and especially for a developmental age of an athlete. Um, it was like kind of lower up, and I worked with a lot of kids back then when I worked in the private sector. So crawling is great for that, you know. How do we keep a stable spine? You, know, you put something on their back for external feedback, you know, tennis ball or a cone, and teaching them how to keep something stable while they're moving their limbs. Um, so coming off of that, um, what I like to do with my teams is I like to mix my core into three categories. So we have anti-extension, anti-rotation, anti-flexion. Um, and what I said at the top, isodynamic, just like with anything with the movement, I want to teach him how to do it properly, isometrically, staying in place before I get to more dynamic. Um, and I have the ground up there because you put them on the ground, you can learn these tools better before you stand them up. Um, so the anti-extension, you know, I teach them first, we got to create education, awareness. What is dissociation? What is, I teach them their hip is blocking. So my external feedback or still cue for them is that when you're tilting your hips forward, your anterior rotating the pelvis, your, um, the pelvis, you're dubbing, dubbing your water out. So if I see an athlete like that, kind of like the duck buck, hey, keep your water and you're spilling your water. And they know automatically tilt back in. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the internal cues such as like the hollowing or sucking or get that blood button to the spine. Um, I feel like more external cues have and it's been proven that external cues are better than internal. Um, but more anti-extension, we know the dead bugs, the planks, having an active plank. Um, I've been really into Chinese planks lately and I'll have a video on that if um, don't know what that is or listeners don't know what that is. But anything especially with anti-extension when we put them on the ground especially on their back as a dead bug we're kind of putting that out of athletic position you know unless you're a wrestler of course so i want to get them up as fast as i can i want them to get them standing as fast as i can um but of course teaching those foundational movements dead bugs great for if they have an anterior pelvic tilt teaching them how to get back to neutral all right once they understand anti-extension okay anti-rotation you got shoulder taps which is really a two-in-one. It's also anti-extension because it's a plank. But shoulder taps, pile press, and then we start crawling, all right? Um, and that stuff's great with a partner as well. So starting to get some engagement with another athlete. Um, shoulder taps, I love using a warm-up because we're grooming that pattern, get them ready for a split squat day. And then inside flexion, I love carries. So... So that's carries that I do a rack, the overhead, the waiter. Um, but we also can't forget about anti-flexion also being a, a side plank, you know, lateral anti-flexion, such as a Copenhagen or a bent, bench or bleak hold. So um, I have a few, few videos of that stuff later on. But those are three buckets. Those are my foundational buckets that I got to fill before moving on and make sure athletes understand that. Um, so here's some videos of just me working with the team. So another thing that, you know, college strength coaches have to keep in mind is <laughs> you have to pick core that you can do with 40 athletes, you know? So even though you're like, ah, oh, this, this, not the way that I really want it to go down, um, you, you got to get creative. So swimmers, as we know, core, really great at core. 
Um, so I progressed them pretty quickly to a more complicated car exercise, such as the top left corner is a bear crawl position with the pole pushing and pulling against their partner. So not only are they having instability with three points of contact, but also now they got to be active by pushing and pulling against their partner with the pole. So let me see if this video will play. Push! So another thing with the with the core um, that um, always doing your best to make it so that making it so it's on your cue. Even my warm ups are all on cue. My core, I want it to be on cue. Um, it just makes it look better. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my earlier mentors at USC basically said, you know, if it looks like shit, it probably is shit, which doesn't have too much validity but it, i took it to heart that if you want to look like a team well you better you better act like a team and everybody better do it on cue um so i think that one's great instead of like athletes on their own and and having the mess around um doing, doing it on your cue you know your go yeah i like that um, that's good as well and especially from i know from a tennis point of view or maybe even a swim point of view where typically it's it's quite different in the collegiate environment they're coming mm -hmm. from an individual sport. They're playing in a team environment. It almost helps bring them together in something that they're not used to doing. Yes. I don't know how you how you feel about this, but sometimes, like in my experience, when I've worked with like the tennis athlete, they're almost they can be quite like timid and almost scared to to perform by themselves. Or, sorry, in front of a group in that weight room environment, it takes a lot of kind of knocking down some barriers to be able to perform in front of their peers. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that with tennis and swim. And it's an interesting, interesting dynamic that I didn't even take into account because I came from soccer. So that was always just ingrained in me. And then when I got, got it, I was like, something's weird with all my sports. I'm like, wait a second. We're all individual. They're all individual. Yeah. Um, so that's why I love, I love doing the team stuff. I love doing partner stuff. Cause I think that's a great quality that team sports learn that I think, getting into the individual sports would benefit them a lot for later on in life. You know, yeah. I'm a big person on developing the human before the athlete. So I want to make sure that I set them up for success, not only my job, of course, in their sport, but like later on, you know, because sports kind of end whether we like it or not, you know, sure. probably when we're younger and we got to still live our life and have a job and be able to have a boss and coworkers. 100%. And I think that's actually even more pronounced within tennis and swimming because they, they specialize from such a young age, mm -hmm. and definitely within tennis at least. And then you almost, you lack some of those social abilities and things like that as you get older, which you need, like you say, when you, when you finish playing sport and you get into the real world. Yeah. Something that kind of being in that team environment, and again, slightly off topic here, but I think it's a great point that a lot of people, including myself, when I first moved into coaching tennis athletes, you're kind of like, like you say, there's something off because I'm from a team background as well and playing rugby and you don't really fully understand like, what's, what's going on here. But I think as soon as you can break down those barriers and get them to perform more as a team, then you're definitely on the right track to, to develop in them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I go, just going back to the core, like top right corner, my next one is single arm planks, very underutilized, a good skill for anti-extension and anti-rotation. Um, going through that, and then the, the bottom left is what the, what the bear crawl, the traveling, okay? Not like the old school bear crawls where like a pyramid. Um, 
more so keeping that level, keeping the neutral spine, small steps. Once again, when you're doing it with a big team, make it on your cue. On my one, right arm, left leg. On my two, left arm, right leg. Um, and then forward, backwards, lateral. It's great mixing it up. And then this next one wasn't on my cue. Um, during my movement days, I love to throw in, especially during my plyometrics, kind of breather in a way, but also where I can get extra core work in. So this was a partner group. And then uh, the bottom left-hand corner is what I'm talking about, the bear crawl. So that's what my bear crawl looks like. Very slow, very controlled. Uh, like I talked about before, putting a, putting a cone on their back, just that external feedback. Only for athletes that aren't doing it right and don't understand. I don't really believe in putting a cone on everybody's back, you know, just because it looks fancy, it looks cool. It serve a purpose, you know. Um, and then the, the bottom right-hand corner is what I do on my movement phase with my athletes. So when you're doing a lot of plyometrics, we know you need rest for power output, okay? You need a little break on their legs, on their nervous system. So I like to put in a mobility or core. You see how it's working together. So this is what a kettlebell pull-through. So get them working together, anti-extension, anti-rotation, um, towards way better than with other people so you can hold each other accountable. A little break from my bios. Um, do my last core videos. So once again, when you work with a huge team and want things to look good, um, this is my paddock press, so the Baseballs are doing a tall ball press, which is cool. Okay, making that simple anti-rotation uh, anti drill and making it more active and making it with a partner. Okay, and then if you want to make it even harder, you put them on their back for a dead bug. Okay. This just taking out the base of support. And exactly what you heard from my coaches at the time I interned said, do not yank each other. And that's real. when you're doing anything competitive, especially with a bunch of baseball guys, they're going to want to dominate each other, which, hey, I love the intensity, but make sure it's with a purpose, you know? Um, so what, what can go wrong on these kinds of drills is one overpower the other. So you got to be more cognizant of don't put a super strong guy with a super weak guy or super strong female with a super weak female. So keeping that stuff in mind, if you want everybody to get something out of the drill and make sure like, yeah, it's fun. Uh, but don't, don't totally mess around with it. You know, I'm still yeah. training, trying to get better. Okay, uh, and then the Chinese plank. Um, so I really got into this one. I started off all my athletes easy with a supine plank. Doing leg raises with it. Um, 
we work on a lot of anterior core, but we got to remember cores all the way around. We got to work on posterior as well. So then I move them to a reverse Chinese plank, which is the top right corner. Okay, two inches, keeping my posterior chain up. And then getting creative with a team. I did this with swimming. Uh, this is what a, a Chinese plank looked like is when you're face down, chest is on the bench, feet are on the bench. <laughs> so that's what that looked like. And just getting alternating their, their bodies and their feet um, so that we can all do it as a team. and and fight it in a course like that's great and how are you how are you progressing kind of especially that that version of the chinese plank there are you kind of starting with the benches closer together and then taking them apart or what does that look like yep so starting them close um and then less time you know i only you get to 30 seconds on this and you're shaking um for for, for people that are, don't do core all the time like a like a diver, my dive team is really good at this, and then my swimming team. So I can progress them pretty quickly. But for an athlete that um, maybe is not as sufficient in core, uh, or taller athletes, you want to move them the benches in, okay, and then lower the time. I wouldn't go past either probably a minute. Um, not even my divers couldn't stand more than a minute. Uh, what's also hard with this is it's hard to breathe because of pressure from the bench. So you're not only teaching the athlete how to keep their hips up, but you're also teaching them how to be cognizant of their breath within a core exercise. So creating that awareness, being active in it and trying to breathe into your belly. And so. just, just for some of the, some of the listeners that may be wondering what is a, what's a kind of a good time. I know you mentioned a minute there is kind of very good for your divers. Some of them can do that. What's, if I was to give it a go now and you were to say, Chris, like, this is a good time when I was to try and go for that, what would you say I should aim for? Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds is a good time. Go for 30, yeah, and then progress to 45. I know that sounds like a big jump, but I think athletes pick up on this pretty easily. Um, you know, working on court, working on planks for a long time now. Um, mm -hmm. But I think what gets hard on this is that you don't have your shoulders to rely on and take some of that pressure off. And that's why I think Chinese plank, not only because it's hard to breathe, but we don't have anywhere else to put the pressure. We got to keep it all in our core to keep us yeah. up. So I think that's what makes it so much harder. I like it. I like a full body variation. It's very kind of, I suppose the, the athlete there is just exploring their own body and kind of what's happening, especially with the relation to the breathing patterns and things as well yeah so that's, yeah that's good i like it okay and then the last uh kind of this the pictures so over far on the left is from these all are from my conference um we have the partner pal off press so pushing against each other keeping the straight arms once again you got to put people with similar strengths or it's just going to look bad yeah um the one in the middle Swimmers love this. It is great for anti-lateral flexion. Um, other than, of course, a Copenhagen, which is so hard in the adductors, it's a precursor to it. So keeping, you know, parallel to the ground, keeping my hips towards the end of the benches um, or chairs, and then keeping it at a hold, making sure they understand. You know, we have a lot of mirrors 
at USC. So I love when they can look at themselves in the mirror so that they know, hey, we're not parallel to the ground. Um, and then from there, pressing overhead. And then even with my swimmers and divers, uh, adding a weight overhead. Okay, I'm, I'm, it's pretty fun working with swimmers and divers because they're, they're so great at core that I can progress them pretty easily um, and quickly. And then the last one to the right, Picture, but the only one I got of the end accidentally. So I think uh, how often do we do bugs and we're just passing, moving our limbs? And what if we put our hands, you know, right in the front and then we push against each other? So creating that pressure, um, holding that for about 10 seconds is a good time. And then single leg, putting it on one side and then the other side. Um, 10 seconds, you know, this is something that. I put in a warm-up easily just to groove that pattern for anti-tension. Like how often do you build within your programming? Where does your kind of core training sit? I know you mentioned you do put it in your warm-ups. Is that something that you can almost, for lack of a better word, microdose into the warm-ups? Or like where do you generally generally put it? Definitely, especially towards the end, I like to microdose. Um, but this is just an example of kind of where I put them in so highlighted I like to have themes for the day so say if we're squatting well the core exercise that we use the most is anti-extension right so day one say if I'm squatting I want to work on ISO um, ISO anti-extension or flexion so I have a hollow hold at the end but I put it at a three because I use it as um, to groove that pattern but also give them a break just like on my movement days so I go from a squat, I'm a big PAP person. So I go to a jump and then I do um, a high plank single band row, something like that, Yeah. you know? And then towards the end, um, for my athletes, I know, especially swimmers, they love to just do core at the end. They never think they get enough core, you know? And, and as much as I teach them, you know, everything's a core exercise, quality core, or quantity core. They're always going to do want to do something at the end. So why not just program it at the end, something at the end that they can safely do and they can get something out of such as the hollow hold, yep. you know, um, say day two, you know, bench press. I work on another aspect, uh, just like we do with athleticism or filling different buckets. So I want to work on ISO, um, or anti-rotation. So I got a pell-off press in there. I got a Copenhagen. And then as my exercises, my main lifts get more dynamic, well, I want my core to get more dynamic. So towards the end of the week, you know, I have a split squat. I want to work on more dynamic anti-rotation uh, core. So I got a high plank lateral raise at the end there, or I have a medicine ball rotational slam. And then day four, I get even more dynamic with an Olympic lift or a variation. So I go with a more dynamic anti-flexion so I got my carries on that day um, and I think most important part is just not throwing out random and filling in random core make sure it has a theme for the day you know just like we do with our training we have a stimulus for the day we're trying to hit and add a certain adaptation make sure your core is the same and it follows that yeah I like that that's, that's good I like how you've integrated that with the kind of progressing it from more static to, to dynamic especially when you think about someone like a tennis player that's a very obviously rotational dynamic and movement um, momentum driven sport do you use that, those the same progressions and are you doing more medicine ball work in there compared to some of your like chinese plank, uh, plank variations yeah especially towards 
towards the end. Um, so I'm, in, I'm fortunate to get uh, five days with my tennis. Um, and that's, and it's been pretty cool that I can do a three days of lifting, two days of movement. And I like to dose back in certain qualities that they've already learned. So say springtime, um, what I would be doing now is that I have my movement days and then I work on more dynamic core because we're doing more dynamic movement. And then on my lifting days, I do more ISO core, such as anti-flexion, anti-extension, anti-rotation. So um that's how, kind of how i feel them in mm-hmm. and some people look at the like the simple basics but you just got to remember you can't shoot a cannon off a canoe and keeping that foundation strong and that's why i love to microdose them back in you know we all we all need to relearn simple things back to the basics for sure the basics are the basics for a reason as well and you, you can't be that that analogy as well you can't can't shoot a cannon from a canoe yeah yeah <laughs> And that's one thing that like, I had to defend my thesis with because one of the guys on my committee was like, well, why don't you just lift heavy weight? And I'm like, well, not everybody can lift. They're not ready to lift heavy weight to, in order to get their core. You got to teach them these foundational movements, make sure they're not a wet noodle before you do that. So you're, you're not going to get a back issue. Um, so that's the only reason why my, my, uh, I passed my defense on my thesis was that explanation. So <laughs> Um, but after, you know, well, we get to the good stuff. So we get to the chops, the lifts, a medicine ball throw. And then I'm a big medicine ball with deceleration. So not actually throwing the ball, uh, especially with golf, with tennis, they're rotating so much. Make sure we teach the deceleration patterns and deceleration strength and eccentric strength, just like we do with movement. You know, we, we teach them how to decelerate, work on the brakes before you work on too much power. Um, so my analogy for the car is that you want to make sure that the car is sufficient before you put in a bigger engine, you know, you put in a big engine and a crappy car where you're going to break down, something's going to blow up, you know? So a big, big on deceleration, um, even with my core, but the idea with medicine ball throws, I want to get to this as, as, as fast as I can. I want them to be able to accept force, reabsorb it and then reproduce. Um, so just like I do with any normal core, I go ground up. Um, so starting half kneeling, tall kneeling, I, then I go to, I want non-counter movement to counter movement to being with a partner, partner throwing you the ball and then making it more reactive. Um, and that's what I, I will get into with, with my movement is, is how I kind of progress with this of ground up, non-counter movement, counter movement, reactive how I plan my um, movement days. Um, yeah, so. I like it, that's great. It's, a, it's such a, like almost a simple pattern as well that I think a lot of people forget about and you just want to go to the stuff that looks like great on Instagram. People love like throwing medicine balls. How far can you throw it? What's the fancy drills we can do instead of actually starting, like you say, at the ground up, doing the stuff that's so basic in terms of like a non-count movement related throw or whatever it is. Yeah. And then slowly progressing because sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. We all want to jump and like do the more fun stuff with the athletes instead of putting those foundations in uh, place and like build a chassis of the car and then putting the bigger engine and, and things like that. So I think, I think that should relate well back to a lot of coaches and a lot of listeners hopefully as well. 
Yeah. And I, I think, you know, especially being at USC and any of the top division ones, like we're blessed with great athletes, but we have to remember that they're good at their sport, you know, um, that they didn't, they didn't come here to be weightlifters and Olympic lifters. And that, you know, maybe they're really good at their sport, but they never touched a barbell. They never held a plank. Um, they're not stable. So keeping that stuff in mind is, is smart to do. 100%. 100%. And is that LinkedIn? So we can kind of start moving towards our movement stuff now. And is that kind of, how do you link those two? How do you link your, your core work and your movement work? I know you said you get a pretty good situation there where you get, do you say tennis five days a week? Yeah, five days a week. So towards the beginning, um, when I'm working on power, pro, or like getting stronger in the weight room, well, I want to work on getting stronger on the turf as well. So how I separate my uh, moving days is I'm either working on big force or technique as well, but small time, you know? So in the fall, I, I'm worried about getting my athletes stronger as best as I can, even though they still have competitions for tennis in the fall, you know, try to get the rankings up, but that's my time to get them stronger. So I want to teach them foundational movements on the turf, such as lateral power and change of direction, make sure those are set. Um, and then, you know, getting into small time. So it's either big force or small time. And I work on lateral movements, sprinting. Uh, I think even with working with tennis, I think we, we stray away from just sprinting enough. Like our athletes, I don't, and I'm guilty of this as well. Like, I don't think my athletes sprint enough. And just because of how they're in the frontal plane, like I need to work on, you know, lateral power, that lateral step, um, lateral first step. But getting faster is a, is a quality that we can really train in the weight room and on the turf that can translate to those lateral movements. And so say in the fall, like I only have two days of movement with them just because I want three days of in the weight room. I'm working on maybe lateral on one day, linear on the other. Mm-hmm. And then once I get more into the spring season, if I get three days, well then I'm working on a crossover power or small time. And so working on fast off the ground, and then a linear small time, so quick step, and then a, a crossover. So lateral crossover, linear is kind of how I mix up my movement days just because I want a stimulus for that day and kind of t- kind of a goal to work towards. And then I know you mentioned that kind of a lot of you focus a lot on and a lot of the research says rightly as well, obviously, huge focus of tennis athletes. I think it's up to 70, 75 percent of lateral movement within a tennis match. Which is, which is great, but I think you made a good point there where you want to potentially focus on some of the linear aspects because like, it can, what's the saying, is that uh, the high tide raises all ships? Like, you, can, mm. you can get those, those benefits in the crossover effect. And one of the two things that I talk about quite often with the tennis athlete is we need to obviously look at the lateral movement in terms of a crossover step, or I call it a running step because that's, that's the terminology we use with the, with the coaches where we're coming from a wide forehand position or a backhand, for example. We're having to fully rotate the hips around to, to essentially sprint back into the court. Now, my thing is, how often do we actually shuffle like on the tennis court a large distance? You probably shuffle two steps, three steps at the yeah. most. But realistically, if we're going to, the points that matter, we're probably going to have some sort of cut step, crossover step, and then sprint to the ball where we need to go. So still training the mechanics behind the, kind of the linear aspects of movement is going to be very important and it's just essentially just tagging on and building the puzzle 
by uh, teaching efficient crossover mechanics or, or whatever it is that you're coming out of and exposing your athlete to these different movement patterns while you can finish almost in a linear position or transition into a linear sprint and then snap the hips back around into whatever shot you're going to play, whether it's like a close stance or open stance backhand. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That, that's something I've been thinking about a little bit recently. And it's, I know the research says maybe, okay, a lot of the movement is lateral, but it's, is it really lateral? We've still got these important kind of linear aspects built into them. You're just building the puzzle of movement with these other different steps added in. I know it's a little bit kind of off, slightly off the topic, but I mean, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so it's just like teaching them how to move more efficiently, especially under fatigue. But like, just not getting too far away from it. These are the qualities, you know, like, trying to get too sport specific, um, guilty of it too, but train the qualities. Like I want them to get faster. Well, the best way to do that is in a linear fashion. And I want to work on linear sprinting because I want to get them to express speed, you know, um, as quickly rate of force development as fast as they can. Um, but of course, yeah, they're, they're in the frontal plane, making sure I teach them how to be efficient, teach them how to do that crossover step efficient, the jab step that I worked on a lot. Um, I don't have any videos on, but what I, what I have worked a lot is the lateral power, you know, especially dealing with female athletes. I have a lot of taller athletes and their hips aren't stable or strong enough to control and have a fast push out of that step. Um, so one thing that I've really liked with coach, uh, I've learned from coach Garish, uh, John Garish on Instagram was his half kneeling to half kneeling progression. Um, so going to half kneeling, half kneeling. Oh, that's, that's actually the next one. So that's a half kneeling to single leg. I've still got your sports specific slide here. <laughs> oh, dang it. We've, uh... Let me share a new screen. Um, so one thing that I really like is the half kneeling, the half kneeling. So, um, I start off and this is a, this is a video, actually the next progression. I don't know if I have just a half kneeling, a half kneeling. Um, but well, that's a single leg. Nope. Okay. So going off to half kneeling, half kneeling making sure I'm loading up. So my starting position. So outside leg is up. I want to load up that hip. I want to create that shin angle in the direction that I want to go. I'm a big shin angle. Okay. Hashtag shangles kind of person. Um, I want to make sure it all starts with that shin and that's going to tell you which direction you want to go. So when I line up in that half kneeling position, my hip is to the outside, my knees rotated in, creating that positive shin angle internally because I want to go, you know, out to the side. I want to go horizontal. So the half milli, half milli, make sure your athlete understands how to decelerate. So that's why I start with that position because they got to be able to control their body when they jump out horizontally and land in a half milli position once again. And then the next progression to that is a single leg stance. So I half kneeling to single leg, which is this video here. And I control it. Single leg control. Mm -hmm. And I think like it, that's pretty hard for athletes to do. It's even hard for me to do. And I'm a strength coach, you know? Um, so I think not 
hounding our athletes, yes, we want to control single leg, but if anything, if they're spilling outward, yeah, that's something to fix. If they're spilling a little bit inward, that's okay because we know we want to go back. Okay. If you had to pick one or the other, you want to make sure they're spilling inward because that, that makes it know that their center of mass isn't going out outside their body. Um, so after I do the single leg, I, okay, my athletes are controlled and I spend anywhere from two to four weeks, maybe on just a, um, half kneeling, half kneeling. I want to make sure my athletes understands how to do it. I want to make sure they're in control, decelerate their body. Um, it's great external feedback with the half kneeling and half kneeling. Cause if they don't decelerate and control, they're going to hurt their knee on the ground. And I'm just, and I always say, if you don't want to hurt your knee, make sure you control, decelerate, man. Like, control yourself. Um, and kind of, kind of where this fits in and in my progression or my, my movement day is that, you know, we warm up and these are the qualities that I want to hit first. I want to hit my, of course, my plyometrics, more central nervous system driven. Um, and I inter intermix some mobility in there just to give them a break, um, or some core, but really want to hit the plyometrics first, start off, Okay, they decelerate. All right, they're getting really good at that now. Hopefully that came out clear, but I want them to now work on small time. I want to make them transition as fast as they can from the outside back to the inside. Yep. But I want to have control as well to land back in that half kneeling. Um, so I feel like this is a really great pro progression that you can actually be really creative with. So I took the half kneel into half kneeling, half kneel into single leg stick, and then half kneel into single leg stick and back. So now I have a quick component to it, working on small time. Um, and now you can actually add a lateral bound and be creative. And if you notice, I end up exactly where I came from. So, <laughs> yeah, so, and it's really like, I can add, like line up. I always want to make something and pass along something that you can do with a big team. So I can have three lines and I can tell them, all right, you're gonna jump and face, you know, the wall and then jump to your right on my count and then land in half kneeling position. And I'll be like, okay, then everybody do it. Let's go the other way. Um, so stuff like that, I'm adding a lateral bound to it. Um, once again, a quick component and a stability component. You know, still working on the speed and the power output, but I want to work on the brakes as well. Um, that's one of my favorite. So let me see what the next one is. Okay, so, and then also, of course, I believe in med balls. Um, I want to go from non-counter movement to counter movement to a partner reactive. Um, I think there's some jumping ones in this video too. Um, and there's always so many tools that we can use, but we just have to make sure, Hey, we're not doing something just fancy. We're not doing something that just looks cool. Or I want to, I want to mix up the aspects for the athletes so that they feel like they're getting better and improving. But that's not to say that we hit the basics. So this first one and some hurdle drills, like we've already done, you know, just a linear hurdle drill of, of working on stability and then working on quickness. But then I want to mix up the stimulus. So I have them going forward, lateral, forward, lateral. Mm -hmm. um, once again, make sure they have control and, and 
especially with drills that we do, we want to make sure that they still have technique when they start to get fatigued. You know, tennis is repeated power output. Um, and also being conscious that women's points are longer than male points. Okay. Men's tennis, so you guys are more aggressive. Uh, so your points are usually faster than us. So that has to take into account, like going out to your sport, timing all of them, getting an average. It has to account for the type of work that you do. Um, so women, they like to stay at the baseline, you know? So their drills are much longer than I would do if I had a men's sport or men's tennis. Um, going into medicine ball, uh, medicine ball work, we've already worked on the tall kneeling. We already worked on the half kneeling. Um, and I think this one is a counter movement it's a counter movement with a step so mm -hmm. not counter movement and then i had a can move it now i have a step so i'm bringing my hips outward throwing the ball um great external cues as you probably have heard like break that ball break the wall um so that's kind of what i really uh, want to hit on at the beginning of the movement session before i get into more of my drills training equality um, when I'm teaching a change of direction, we break it down. I want to teach te technique first. One of my cues that I use with my athletes is prepare your hips before you get to the line. If you know, especially with like a set point of change of direction, if you know, you're gonna have to get back the other direction. Make sure you prepare your hips before you get there. Um, so there's an example of that kind of, kind of quick there. But I'm already turning my hips before I get to the line. So I learned that in soccer when we were doing the beat test that I am way faster out if I prepare my hips before I get there than my other athletes or than my other teammates. Um, once again, shin angles. Uh, so I think that's, that that's actually a great point with the hips there as well. The, um, I always say to my athletes, the hips are the gate and you've got to open the gate if you want to go through it. So whichever way your hips are pointing are essentially going to dictate kind of which, which way you go and where you can apply the force, obviously relative to the shin angles as well. But I think that's a, that's a big point and not enough, potentially not enough coaches or definitely athletes kind of talk about what happens with the hips. The hips are going to dictate a lot for the line sport. Hips, yeah. And then of course like shin angles, but that, that leads up the chain. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, and, and of course they have to be mobile enough to, to do that. You know, I have some of my – some of my athletes that why are why are they can I not get there why can I twist their hips well they're not mobile enough so now we know what we need to work on and we need to fill their time maybe instead of everybody else is doing core they're doing another hip mobility you know um, and that's how I kind of start to learn my athlete and learn what they need and then I can individualize when we're especially with a small team like I have 10 girls I can say hey this group you need to work on this when you're doing in between your plyometrics and this group you're working on core um, and that comes from just knowing your athletes and being observant. Part mm -hmm. of coaching, of course, we know we got to be observant to our athletes and our athletes' needs um, and making it more specific to them. Um, and then, so, got my plyometrics. My theme for the day maybe is a power out or a force production into the ground. So, I call it big force uh, for a crossover step. So, they know the technique. They know how to do it. And this is further on down the line of an athlete's training timeline now i want to add a resistant band i want to add a belt um, and this is a great example of one of my athletes who can do this very efficiently now when we're doing a crossover run 
of course we don't stand across for a run we know that you know we do a step when we would do two steps and we get out of it but this is the quality that i'm trying to train of just how to put force in this aspect um force into the ground in this movement but i i've learned a lot of the crossover run and a crossover step that some some people teach it that their hips turn all the way while their shoulders stay facing me and their their shoelaces are pointing in the direction you want to go and then the second one is actually their toes stay facing me and their shoulders stay facing me um, i know lauren landau has talked about it a lot and he actually teaches some aspects of it of where you know you can see the girl in the back uh salma her her shoelaces are facing forward whereas the girl in the front not so much and is that something that i really want to if they're doing it efficiently do i really want to coach them out of that and i don't believe so you know i think we're all different anatomically and um we all have certain different ways of of coming up with a solution for movement and if this works for them that is something that hey that that's great for you there's i always when i'm teaching my interns a crosser step or the crosser run i do teach them that there's two different types of ways that you can do it um as long and as so here, force into the ground that's that's the main thing you, you care about at the end of the day yeah yeah how efficient they are how much force so this is an example of what the band or the the uh resisted lateral crossover run looks like pop 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 oh yeah so very clean push into that ground um and she's one of my stronger athletes so so once I get into that, hey, they're great at that. You know, they passed that test. Now I want to transition. You know, I'm a big transition person. I want to get them moving different angles. Um, of course, we know tennis, we're not moving more than, they're not moving 10 yards, but it's the qualities <laughs> that we're training. So, pop, 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 explode out. So lucky enough at USC, we have the space, we have the resources to have this equipment um but the also the thing of the resistance bands of course we want that lean you know we're adding force we're fighting a resistant resistance we're getting that lean can they transition that force and that lean into a linear sprint you know um and get, getting them to you know pap a little bit work on that speed afterwards all right um and did you say this is something that you'll do you generally do this kind of in the weight room, like as part of the, at the end of their warm up, tapped on as kind of a, the primer or the potentiation before they go to lift? Or how does that, that type of session look? Or is that something that is done on a separate day altogether? Separate, separate day. That's a separate day. Okay. Um, I, I, I really keep, you know, I call them appetizers. If I'm doing an appetizer, it'd be just maybe a little bit of a jump at the end, tacked on at the end of a warm up, um, a little bit of a reactive sprint, and then we'll head to the weight room okay versus this one um these are more of my lateral my, my movement days uh, on the turf and that's kind of the second portion so after doing my plyos all right central nervous system we're firing now i want to work on a quality such as big force or small time and now moving on i want to work on some reactive case okay? sports are reactive as we know I want to work on that aspect and when i'm working on reactive i mix up the stimuluses between verbal um um so auditory visual and then someone else you know a partner reactive so here's a drill of course once again like we've discussed we're not in a sideshow for this long but this is a quality that we're training 
we're getting there, we're moving fast and then sprinting out. So they're gonna sprint towards me. They react and then they get out. Okay, so, and this one, as I teach my interns, cause I always like an intern to lead it. You have to have the right timing or it's not gonna work, you know? So I want my athletes to get to me and once they time kind of get close, then I point, you know, so they're reacting off the point. They got to decelerate, think, react. You know? um, and this is also reaction is great because they, they can't compensate to lean to one side. You know, if you're doing a drill and they know they got to go right, well, they're either going to start going right too early, not reacting or already have a body angle going right or going left, you know, either way that they know they're going to go. But this one, since they don't know, they keep it right in the middle. I want that center of mass right in the middle because that's what tennis is. You got to keep your center of mass in the middle because you don't know which way she's going to hit it or he's going to hit it. No, so. that's a, I like that. That's a, that's a good drill. And it's essentially replicating what's going to happen on the court. You're, you're preempting to an extent what's going to happen, but it's, it's a last minute reaction. And then it's how do you apply the things that you've done in your previous stages, apply the force into the ground, open the hips or, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So um just it's all about just controlling where that body center mass is um and this is just another one i, I can tack on to the end i'm a big finger pointer um because i think that's easy i'm not a big whistle person but one thing that i realized with finger pointing your athletes can cheat a little bit they they anticipate instead of react well what i've learned is stand behind them now and use your voice okay or use a clap so on this one i'm working on transitions and I want them to be able to transition from the movements. So I got a lateral bound. Nope. These are some drills I have before it. <laughs> Another drill I have before it. So transition. So learn standing behind them is great because I can focus on what they're doing versus focusing on me. Okay. Getting them to react versus anticipate and then working on a go. Um, and one of my, one of my athletes brought up a good point in tennis that they don't have a start. They don't have a go. They go when they feel like it or they go when the, um, you know, when they get ready to serve, it's on their, their call. They don't have a whistle. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, you're, you're right. Because some of the athletes would start way before I'm like, dude, can you just wait for me to say go? They're like, whoa, we're not used to it. I'm like, all right, well, that's going to be another trip. <laughs> it's crazy uh, you learn from your athletes as well. Because like I said, yeah. I've been doing similar things. And I remember the first time I started with the, uh, with the tennis team, I pulled out my whistle and I blew the whistle and things. And they're just like, whoa, 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 like, what is, what's going on? Like, it's not used to the whistle, kind of a bit more football, maybe soccer orientated. And it is yeah. a completely different environment. And I think the more, as a coach, you understand that. And obviously you're going to learn it from being in that environment. I think the better relationships you can forge with your athletes as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that was from learning on the job a little bit. Um, <laughs> but so, so just sum up about how I program and, and how I think about my movement days. Um, I do split them up between a, a big force or a small time. So if you're working on strength in the weight room, then I'm working on putting force into the ground in, uh, on the turf. So um, keeping that stimulus going, and I work on that through, through resisted lateral bounds, resisted runs, using the sled, using bands, using bullet belts, um, 
And then, you know, working on small time, I do, I do assisted, you know, I attach a bungee up to a wall. I'm working on assistant. That's also working on absorbing force. Um, but I mean, we don't have long raptors that we can do assisted. So that's about only the assisted that we can do, but it's just the emphasis. Like what's the intent out of it? Um, if you're doing a drill, like say the, the one I just showed with a lot of cones, like we're working on technique and transitions. I'm working on a, can they get their body in the right position to be as efficient as they can so that we can translate to, to the court being efficient, um, keeping your body weight, keeping the hips, preparing the hips. So working on technique, you know, while we're all doing this, but make sure that you can use the same drills for different intents, but you have to just coach it that, Hey, I want this transition to be really fast. Or on this one, I want you to put as much force into the ground as you can to reabsorb and get out of it. Um, so kind of just being creative and, and nothing has to be too fancy. I feel like nothing, nothing has to be super cool or we're jumping here and then we're jumping there and then we're side shuffling. Um, you don't need to have 50 cones out there. You just need, need to be able to, to explain the intent to the athlete. Um, and working on, if we're working on the speed, make sure it's not a conditioning set, you know, especially working with female athletes, like all they want to do is condition. You know, I'm, I'm culprit of this too. I'm a soccer player. You know, I want, I love conditioning, but that's not the quality that we're training. You know, they get that from three hours on the court. That's not what I want. I want to work on different buckets that I got to fill such as speed and power. And that comes from just educating your athlete of what you're trying to get out of it. You know, I love, I love that. Yeah. And I think that's something that's massively, not just in, in tennis, but in the team sport kind of environment generally, it's a lot of focus on, Oh, we're training speed and it's, but it ends up being repeat sprints or, or something like that. And you don't really get that the optimal recovery. Like if you're, if you're sprinting, you need, no matter how far you're going, you need a good few minutes just to recover between, between sprints. And the more you can, optimize that whether and i loved some of the fillers that you've got between some of your other jumps and things like that whether you put some more core work in or, or whatever it is maybe some mobility fillers like that's a great way to to go about it and i think the more coaches can understand that and even the sports coaches and especially with some schools who run a lot of conditioning sessions if they can understand that the need of rest essentially and the quality over quantity approach and the better off the athletes are going to be mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think putting those fillers is because I learned that, you know, nobody wants to watch their athletes or like a head coach walks down and their athletes are just standing there and you're like, Oh no, they're just recovering. Well, it's like, they're not even breathing or sweating hard. Like, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> that, that came from the private setting as well, that the, the parents just wanted to see their kids sweaty at the end of the day. And I'm like, what? Like, that's not going to help them. Like I'm trying to train equality here, but so there, there's a give and take and you're trying to, in the private sector, you're trying to make a sell. You're trying to keep them, you know? So you kind of, kind of do give and take of 80, 20, 80% of what they need, 20% of what they want. And that's dealing with head coaches too. I've, I've learned that they, they want to, Oh, kill our athletes, make sure they're sweating, make sure it's hard. And, and man, I'll just make some yoga poses hard and you'll sweat, you know? So getting creative in that sense and having those fillers, makes it look like, you know, they're not just standing around doing nothing. There's always something you can do. And I know our other coaches will be like, well, we don't got time to wait two or three minutes, you know, in between. And I'm like, okay, then what are you really working? Like, just say that you're working on conditioning, then if that's what. You Obviously find. you don't value, value speed as a, as a quality, you know, for an athlete. So yeah. that's the thing. And I, and, I, and I love that. I really do. I think even putting things like you said, that yoga poses in and, and some things that I've found over the last, last few years is, and I, I always used to say when I was a younger coach, I'm not in the entertainment business, but I think you've got to entertain to a degree and be able to, you're essentially selling your product. 
mm-hmm. that's the thing and, and i love that point you made there um you're selling it to the parents because the parents are obviously paying for it and you they want to see essentially the value of what they've got and they see value in sweat and hard work and things like that yeah. and it's, it's how you can incorporate little things into your session like the fillers that can make a huge difference and it's like we've got one or two players who love doing like a little bit of an arm farm or whatever to make them feel like they've got a pump at the end of a session it's like great yeah you can you can do your arm farm and like if you want to like sometimes they, they ask oh can i go can i get on the ground it's like yeah sure you can you can get on the ground if you want if that makes you feel like you've had a really good session and get your get your yeah. arm pump or, or whatever it is but it's just understanding kind of what the athlete almost needs there and it's that 80 20 rule like like you talked about um which i think is great um so I won't, I won't keep you too much longer. I'm wary of time and obviously are very busy. Um, just a final, final few questions uh, from me here. So for any young coaches um, that are maybe just leaving school or trying to get into the industry, um, what advice uh, would you give to them? Um, I think, you know, you're, you're going to have to do, and we all did the internships. You know, I get, I'm the, one of the internship coordinators at USC and I get a lot of I've young coaches reaching out and they're kind of astonished that it's, it's unpaid. And they're like, well, how am I going to work? And I'll like do this internship in LA that's unpaid. And I'm like, it's, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. You know, like there's comes a time and play or a time and point in our lives that when we were younger, that we had to do this. And it's, it's, it's for a reason. Um, and I think, you know, just accepting that in a way that you're going to have to take some risks and you're going to have to just make sure it's what you want. Um, don't be afraid. You're not married to one aspect. You know, I went from the private sector to the collegiate. You're not married to one or the other. If you don't know which one to do, try out both. You know, you can always go back into private if you didn't like college or, you know, and then find some really good mentors. And I think Instagram is great for the new age of coaches really being more vocal on Instagram and, and some of the older coaches are like, ah, I don't got time for that. You know, well, in this situation right now with COVID-19, like what are they doing right now? They're, they're hurting a lot. They can't connect to their athletes because they didn't have a platform already to do that. You know? So I think being an Instagram coach and, and kind of just putting our exercise on Instagram isn't for my benefit. It is for other coaches because if I, help other coaches with more beneficial exercises. Well, now I'm helping more athletes. Um, so don't be afraid to grow your Instagram and post out some good stuff. And that, that's how I got called for the USC job again. You know, I interned at USC, but the, the way that I came back and my name came brought up again is because they saw what I was doing on Instagram of my private, private clients and what I was doing in the private sector. Um, and that's also how I got, you know, some speaking engagements in Canada, you know, from the, the conference. So get your name out there don't be afraid to find a mentor and connect it's crazy i think and that's actually a great point because i think instagram's almost becoming to an extent the modern day cv people mm-hmm. are people are seeing what you're putting out if the content's good then they're going to reach out to you which is which is pretty incredible when you think about it um just uh, the final final question here so what books are you reading any books at the moment and and if so like what would you what would you suggest that's maybe had quite a big impact on on your career yeah. So, well, um, I'm a, I'm a big book reader with, uh, things that aren't strength conditioning. So, um, the energy bust, uh, is a good one. John Gordon, um, extreme ownership by Jocko. I'm a big, like, especially in the college sector, we're working with teams. Most of what we do is just culture, you know, like if you don't have a culture set for strength conditioning and for them to understand the importance of strength conditioning, then what do you really have? So 
that's why I love building that culture, uh, culture, leaning on my athletes of a culture of trust and treating the human. And, and so I love John C. Maxwell has a lot of good ones too. So those are my two I look forward to, um, to reading and passing along, but also tools for Titans, Tim Ferriss. I'm reading that now going through that. Um, it actually is right here. It looks like a Bible. Um, so it's right now to read and then uh good to go is another one that i'm reading and it's about recovery methods uh, so a lot of a lot of non-strength conditioning related in a sense of the science and the practice of it but our job is so like filled with other things uh, that we have to worry about and educate ourselves on because we can help an athlete way more than just in the weight room and on the turf very much relationship based as well that's the that's the thing there's some really good book recommendations there um just finally where can where can people find you if they want to reach out to you or ask ask some advice and things like that instagram would be the best way um at coach pika you know i i'm big on instagram i love to post so feel free to comment and i do my best of reaching out to everybody who who contacts me so don't get offended if i don't um also you can email me at dpika dpyka at usc.edu Perfect. Thank you very much for, for coming on today. It is greatly appreciated and I'm sure we'll be able to keep in touch. Um, just for those that maybe one or two of the videos were a little bit jumpy, for those that um, maybe if it comes out a little bit jumpy, just jump straight over to, uh, to the Instagram page there at Coach Piker. And um, I, can, I can vouch for it. I've seen it myself. Um, some very good videos and very good content on there. So definitely uh, head over there. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. Yes, thank you for your time.